This is episode nine of Real Shift Radio with special guest Alex Kuhn. Are you ready for the shift? Are you ready for security, balance, and freedom to do the things that you wanna do? It all starts with the shift. My name is Dominic Labriola. I'm a real estate broker and developer, and each week I sit down to speak with the most inspiring people in the real estate industry to bring you stories of shift, successes, challenges, aha moments, and overall best practices to help you live your best life. This is Real Shift Radio. Welcome back to episode nine of Real Shift Radio. Thank you so much for spending time in your day with me to listen to the program. I received an email this week from Lisa Ford, a realtor with Remax in Northern Virginia. It totally reaffirmed my conviction to keep bringing you these shows. Lisa wrote to me after listening to Nikki Conway's episode from last week, and she told me, I will listen to all your other episodes ASAP now that I understand what you're doing. What a powerful contribution. Great job. Keep it up. It's very helpful, and you're filling a void. It's so incredible to hear that kind of feedback. A lot of work goes into producing this program, and I am so appreciative of the guests that appear. Their stories and insights are so incredible, and I'm glad that you're finding this information valuable. Now on to this week's episode, Shifters. Our guest today is Coach Alex Kuhn. I met Alex last year through a mastermind group we both joined, put on by my good friend Lewis Howes of the School of Greatness. If you've been following this program, you may have heard me mention that I was a guest on Alex's self-made podcast. Alex and I have a real simpatico, especially when it comes to our missions. As you'll hear, his mission is to make people's dreams become a reality. It closely mirrors my vision to help you live your best life. I think you're going to enjoy hearing about how Alex became a successful collegiate swimming coach and then brought his passion to life in creating a business coaching entrepreneurs and business people to fulfill their dreams. Alex also details how he got into real estate investment and how the security of knowing that if anything happened, he could live off the income from his investment properties has helped him to live a more balanced and fulfilled life. So here he is, Coach Alex Kuhn. Alex Kuhn, self-made man. Welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining me. It is so exciting to have you on and thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me there. I mean, I know that we've met. It was so funny to know we were just talking last week about how it seemed like we knew so much about each other, yet we only had spoken once up until last week at that point. So it's finally nice to get us even talking even more as of today. Yes, face-to-face. We became friends through a leadership mastermind that we are both a part of through our mutual friend Lewis Howes and uh, and we've known each other nearly a year now but it's so funny to not <laughs> to have all the correspondence be completely digital but it's nice to see you face to face and to get to have you share insights on my program today so I want to share your story with my listeners and um, we get into a lot of information, but uh, can you give me a little bit about your background? You you grew up in Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Pittsburgh uh, my whole life, and 
Um, I guess I shouldn't say my whole life. I've actually moved around quite a bit, but grew up in the Pittsburgh area. You know, it's football season, so go Steelers right now. But, <laughs> um, but you know, for me, I, I, uh, I actually was, you know, when I was younger, I was a, a pretty big uh, sports junkie in terms of, like, I was a swimmer and was in baseball. Um, and actually, the sport I ended up kind of following was swimming, which I, I give that sport a lot of credit, not so much in terms of, like, just the sport itself, I think there's a lot of things you can learn from it, but just it gave me a path to kind of find myself in a lot of different areas there. I was, you know, I was a pretty good swimmer. I went to college, and I think truly from an even just a academic perspective, it motivated me to be a pretty good student and allowed me to move on to things such as like getting my MBA at the University of Iowa. In fact, actually, after undergrad, it became my job, if you will, for the first seven years of my life. I was a, went from an assistant college coach all the way from, let's see, Iowa to Virginia and out to Los Angeles in the first seven years of my life to be the head coach at a place called Occidental College. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I think Dominique is just, you know, for a lot of people in general, they always are talking about their why, they're trying to figure out their passion. And I love swimming and I love coaching it, but what I really loved the most was making a positive impact on people. You know, this idea of permitting people to, to succeed, I think was something I was very good at. Call it being motivational, call it being inspirational, or just, you know, giving people the, the courage to go out and be themselves. And I knew that's what my talent was, but I don't know exactly how you kind of turn that into a business. <laughs> yeah. Call it that. So I, but you know what, I, it just never went away. It just never went away, even when I was a coach. So I actually left the coaching world and started my own coaching practice and speaking practice. And a couple of years later, here I am with uh, you know, a podcast and a, an amazing group of entrepreneurs as clients, as friends, you know, people like yourself that I get to interact with on a daily basis. I just, I couldn't imagine a better life right now. Cool. So you, you became a head coach very young. Tell me about that experience and and tell me how how that all went down. Yeah, it's I mean, I think that obviously, you know, people ask me how I got into the college coaching world and you know, the story was a little bit of a kind of a by chance slash kind of a bucket list combination, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think we've all hopefully done it at one point or night where we just got a piece of paper and sat down and said, well, what are the things I want to do in my life? And you're just kind of writing things down. And one of those things was probably in the middle somewhere, just crazy out of the blue thought was saying, I wanted to coach at the college level. Mm-hmm. You know, and at the time, you know, my senior year, I was thinking about what I'm going to do after college. And I had some nice job offers and I had a business and psychology major. And I actually got my, at the time, my quote unquote dream job with the work with Nike in their marketing department. And there was just something that was just bugging me about maybe not taking it. I don't know why. I just had this kind of doubt. Like, as you can probably tell, I'm a very intuitive person. So I kind of follow my gut instincts a lot. And my coach talked to me a little bit about that there was this great assistant coaching position opening in Iowa. And believe me, never been in, having been to Iowa and living on the East Coast my whole life, my first thought was there is no way that I, there's no way in hell I'm moving to Iowa there. <laughs> but I, you know, but she said, look, at the very least, go out, interview for the job, meet the people, meet the coach, and you'll see what it's like. And it just felt right, Dominic. I mean, the really the, the long story short is that I went out there for the interview. I love the head coach. I love the program. I love the college. I love the town. 
and it just felt right. So I went with it as an assistant coach and made my name at pretty young in the recruiting world of swimming, uh, helping that college win six conference championships. Um, they had a pretty successful record before that, but you know we started to get some people that were qualifying for nationals that never happened. And after that position, actually, it opened up some opportunities to be a head coach at a very young age. I think I was 23 or 24, and that's actually when I got my first head coaching job in a uh, Virginia called Sweetbriar College, which is, if anybody knows it out there, it's actually an all-woman's college. School colors were pink and green. Their mascot was a vixen. It was not exactly, quote-unquote, an athletic hotbed for talent. But, you know, I figured to myself that if I could actually turn this program around, which was not doing well when I took over, then the doors would open up for me in any other coaching avenue that I wanted at that time. And two years later, we went 11-2, and two, I believe, and had an amazing turnaround, and it was highlighted by a lot of uh, national swimming magazines, and it kind of opened the door for me to move out to Los Angeles down to Occidental College. Mm-hmm. And how long were you in L.A.? I was out there about, I guess it was only two and a half years. I- I'll tell you something. I, I love L.A. I love the people out there. I just love the town. I mean, I call it a town, but I love the city. It's just a great place. And it was the same situation in regards to what maybe what I kind of discovered is what I really love doing and this idea of this cultural shift, you know, the idea of actually teaching people how success actually occurs. It's not the always the nitty gritty or the how to programs or everything you're learning about information. It's an actual mind shift. It's a, it's a shift in terms of your habits. It's a shift in terms of how you look at things. It's a shift in terms of doing things that you never thought possible and stop looking at the excuses. When I was at Occidental, they to me, it's, it's a beautiful campus. It's one of the most beautiful campuses I've ever been on. The school has an amazing academic reputation. They do a pretty good job with financial aid. They, it, it was a school that should have had any, every opportunity to be successful, especially from an athletic program, and especially such as a sport of swimming that really usually tends to attract students that are a better academic caliber. And I think that's just because of the sport of swimming, there's really not much after being a professional swimmer. You have to go out and get a job, and I think swimmers know that from a very young age that they have to be successful in the classroom as well as in the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. But when I got there, Dominique, it was just such an amazing – I was shocked by the attitude of the, the swimmers on the team, that there was complaints about the size of the pool, there was complaints about the oldest program, they couldn't compete with this school because they had this funding, or they had these situations. And so really, you know, one of the things that I remember reading about a long time ago is that you always have to get the right people on the bus. If I knew who read it, I would give them credit. I can't remember who it was, but it reminded me, that story came out when I actually first took over this program. And so really in the first... I should say a couple weeks, Dominique, I pretty much told people, this is how we're going to do things. And if you don't like it or don't agree with it, then you don't have to be here. That's okay. You're not hurting my feelings there. It's got to be the best decision for you. And our numbers, I mean, <laughs> I remember alumni were panicking. My boss was panicking because our numbers went from like, I believe it was like 50 some swimmers down to 24 swimmers wow. within a matter of a couple weeks, which was a huge problem. But I think outsiders saw. But it wasn't about winning right then. It was about shifting the cultural mindset. And actually, by the end of the year, we actually finished better than any of the teams in the, I guess, past five previous seasons did. But it set the culture up for us to attract the right person to the program. So, mm-hmm. And that was kind of my whole intent when I got there at first because 
I figured, you know, it's like the bandit, you know, might as well rip it off really quickly and get that change going. I wanted to make sure we recruited the right swimmers. And I knew that if we kind of did this slow progress, that those recruits, those swimmers that have been, had the right mindset, that have been successful their whole life, they were going to see this program and say, well, it's the same thing as it's always been, or it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. So by actually kind of having that quick band-aid approach, it allowed us to have one of the best recruiting classes because in the second year, our freshmen, our sophomores, you know, the people that bought into the program dominated and actually moved us up, I think, top 20 in the country after wow. never having been ranked ever. So it was, it was an amazing turnaround. You know, the results were kind of just in, obviously, the rankings. But the truth was is that the, the core aspects of that team shifted because of the cultural change. It shifted because of these habits that needed to be changed. And it shifted because of the focus of not what we don't have, but what do we do have to actually be successful. Mm-hmm. So the people that opted out of that program, did they self-opt out? Were they uninvited? How did, how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I think that's even the best way. I mean, I know that, you know, you know, working with entrepreneurs and business owners, you know, sometimes there's obviously situations where you have the people let go. But when you set up a culture, whether it's just in terms of the expectation, the regiment, I mean, what we did really as the swim program was we, we set up a different expectation in terms of how many practices you had to attend. That was the first thing. So there was just a little bit of an increase in the time commitment. So that made a big difference. I think the second thing that we did was is just the idea of there's no excuses. Um, people that would say, oh, I, you know, the pool's not good. You know, we don't have a nice pool. You know, it was just say, hey, that's enough. That's not a good excuse anymore. The people that would say they were tired. The people that said that, you know, just any small excuse. Um, we trained our coaching staff. Uh, we trained uh, the swimmers to really say that's not, there's no such thing as excuses. There is no such thing as just finding these little reasons that you don't have control over to actually inhibit you from actually being successful. Mm-hmm. The one that always bugged me at the time was the pool situation, just because to give you kind of an idea, it wasn't that the pool was smaller in terms of like what was regulated by the NCAAs. It just didn't happen to be the huge complexes that some of our other schools had. It was a six lane, 25 yard pool, which was pretty standard across the country. It just so happened in California, a lot of these other pools were 50 meter facilities and they had a lot of different lanes so they could space them out. But so it wasn't really the idea that they did, couldn't swim. The water was the same. The length was the same. It's just <laughs> they looked at it differently. Yeah. And I think that process happens a lot, I think, for a lot of people. It's just especially when you're trying to start over. There's, there's so many reasons to find things that are reasons to not succeed as opposed to finding reasons that you could succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we actually used that small pool as an advantage because it allowed us to close it off for the day. So we kind of refocus the swimmer's emotion saying, hey, listen, instead of having to share the people with the public, we can have our closed practice time so that mm-hmm. you can actually feel like it's all about you at this moment. And I think there's always trying to figure out ways, whether it's mental tricks or just the way you focus on it or the way you word it, just getting you as a, whether it was the athletes or us as a coaching staff to look at the situation as a positive versus a negative. Mm-hmm. So Alex, this show is rooted in real estate, and I really want to have you share your experience as a real estate investor with the audience. Um, tell me a little bit about how you got started. Uh, obviously, your your professional success has given you a certain level of ability to to get started. Can you tell me the way that began? Yeah, I mean, and you want me to talk a little bit about how I got into the real estate investment side of it there? Correct, yeah. please do. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, my background was I had an MBA, so there's there's always this, and everything I've read, you know, if I've read a lot of books and I can't think of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, mm-hmm. all these different investment books, and the idea of finding your passive income or your stable retirement assets there, um, I, you know, I, it's not something I had an interest in looking at stocks, you know, I had my 401ks and all these different other investments from just jobs and coaching, but I wanted to have something that I felt like I could actually control and take an interest in. That's something I actually put, could put my hands in and actually understand and see the growth. And after my last year at Occidental as a swim coach, I actually moved back to Pittsburgh to start my business. And for anybody that's in coaching or speaking, it's not exactly this field where you are growing assets. You're actually, your, your ability to actually make money is your ability to sell products or to sell your time or to sell your services. Um, a lot of that, to me, when I looked at it from a long-term picture, just never felt like I could actually sell that as a, let's call it, it it's not an asset that could grow, that it could actually sell to someone else in the future. That was more of it's a business of passion, and it's still the business that's the most of my focus and where I love to spend my time. But mm-hmm. I also know that, you know, for me and, you know, my, my family and the people I care about, you know, it would be foolish of me not to think of it from a business perspective and say, well, how can I allocate some of this money to actually go into an asset that can grow? Mm-hmm. So when I moved back to Pittsburgh and everyone talked about this idea of how the real estate market is hot or cold or it's net, you know, it, depending on where you are, you know, it goes really up or really down. People go bankrupt. Pittsburgh is a city that the best way to say it is it's pretty steady. Mm-hmm. The rental market is pretty steady. The, um, the, the city itself is actually very much a big college town. And I know that a lot of the presidents have gotten together and talked about this huge 10% growth over the next five years. So in terms of just an investment opportunity, I saw this, this idea that where are they going to house these students and where are they going to actually put all these people that are renting? Um, it's harder to get a house. Um, the rental market in Pittsburgh, I believe the average vacancy rate uh, – I guess rating is, I think it's 1.7% vacancy openings per year. It's really low. Yeah. So I thought, why not get into it? And that's really, you know, the long story short of it was that I wanted to put some of my, let's just call it my money that would go towards investments and building assets into this real estate. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. We just started buying some, looking at properties and working with the real estate uh, agent to help me find the right house. And our focus was really on building um, quality homes for upper and college students, such as seniors and grad students. And that was the focus of the company. Okay. And so we've now built a couple houses and uh, I say built, but we've, you know, Alex, we bought some houses and reshaped them and now actually rent those out to college students. And I couldn't be happier. It's just mm-hmm. the, the way we actually focus on the market was just to make sure that you know, there's, there, there's just some houses in Pittsburgh that just, I'm not going to lie, they were dumps. And I can understand where that whole idea of a slumlord or something like that comes in when I saw some of these houses. And that's just not the person I am. That's not the person, type of investment company I wanted there. But mm-hmm. um, in the end, so we built these houses, focus on that. But obviously from a personal selfish side, if you will, it's for me, it's that, that's where my nest egg is going. That's where my nest egg is going for my future for mm-hmm. if we ever have any problems. You know, obviously it's not a liquid asset by any means, but it's something that I feel I have much more control over versus having control in the stock market or, you know, other assets that are owned by the government or those sorts of situations. Mm-hmm. So how many properties do you currently own? Uh, I own four okay. right now, actually, that are producing. Um, and you know, for me, when I first started, Dominic, you know, the whole point of it was 
to just, you know, the first house was just going to be the learning experience. You know, uh-huh. I was just going to do it all myself, do the landlord, do the buying, do the look at the contracts. I mean, obviously work with a lawyer and agent, but really just kind of be 100% in charge of it there. Uh-huh. Um, so I could actually, you know, take my wealth, take my lumps, take my beatings, if you will, <laughs> just uh-huh. dealing with the everything, um, understanding taxes. And the reason I did that was, I knew eventually I wanted just people to manage that, that business. I wanted people mm-hmm. to manage that investment company, if you will. But I wanted to actually understand what they were talking about. I wanted to understand what they were saying as opposed to just, you know, I mean, I read 20 books, you know, on real estate investment. And obviously, you know, it's, it, there's some great resources out there and a lot of people that know much more than I do. But I just can't get away from the idea that you got to try something on yourself just to kind of get that firsthand experience. Mm-hmm. And that's where it really is at this point. But we use those investments, and the profits that we do is in terms of actually grow the portfolio. Okay. Um, obviously, there's a. I'm not. I'm not going to say a radical buyer. You know, I'm like you're not going to see me probably. You know, buying like 15 houses. You know, we have an expectation of looking at one or two properties per year, okay. and just kind of move from there. So, what's a typical price range on a on an acquisition? When we first started, it was pretty low. It was like, and the thing about Pittsburgh is it's got a, it's a fairly cheap housing market. So for those people in LA and San Diego, when I tell you the prices, you're gonna probably go nuts. But the first house I bought was it was uh, twenty thousand. Okay. And and for according to code and everything, it was up to code. So I could have technically rented it out at that point, but I wasn't happy with some of the things that were actually in the house. So we did some updates and put in. Not a lot. We put in like $10,000 of work on just the electrical work. We put some work in on the basement, um, just making sure the foundation was stable, those sorts of types of things. Unfortunately, I have enough help with family and friends that you know, know a lot more about how to take care of these things and how to actually do the, the work on the house that could actually kind of guide me and help mm-hmm. me find the right projects to move forward. But you know, now, typically, they're not that much. I mean, they're not huge. They, they grow in assets pretty quickly. You know, a 20,000 house now is is you know we had it appraised at it's around 65 wow um the uh, uh but most of the houses were right around 40 to 60 okay thousand is what we look at what kind of financing vehicles are you using for the acquisition uh what what method have you used to purchase um we the the first house actually was just you know per, pure straight cash mm-hmm. um just from Probably not the smartest thing to do, but, you know, I cashed out some 401ks and some different of my own investments to actually just put it all up front at that time. So that probably not the smartest move, but (laughs) live and learn. That was my first mistake. But, you know, a lot of it now is honestly just some traditional banking methods. You know, I don't really do anything in terms of uh, borrowing, you know, really right now. I, I haven't looked into that method. You know, I, I figured that if I really wanted to focus my time to actually grow that, I probably could do a better job of actually going out and making better relationships with investors and, you know, really starting to kind of buy more houses. But really right now we just do some traditional mm-hmm. banking methods. You know, my debt to asset allocation is it's in a it's good position, so obviously that helps. But just having a good relationship with a local banker here makes a huge difference in the world. We haven't had to get into hard lending, we haven't had to get into that, but a lot of it putting up cash you know we put up about usually 20 percent at least down mm-hmm. on every single payment which allows us to obviously get better rates or better interest rates 
Um, I know some people, it, you know, to me, they always say, well, you could put down less and have a higher interest and have that cash flow. You know, for us, a lot of it is we look at these houses as five years, mm-hmm. meaning that we want these houses for no more than five years. So we want as much of that paid down as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And so we'll put a lot of that, you know, whatever the profits we get from that person, we just put directly uh, paying down the, the, payment. the principal. You got it. Just paying down the principal there because uh, we know the house value will go up, you know, based on what we kind of project, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully double. That's our expectation over those mm. five years. At that point, that's when we hope to sell it, get it okay. off our market, use that profit, and then go find the next place. Mm-hmm. So these properties are more than cash flowing and, and bringing the payment plus additional surplus income on each mm-hmm. of them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's a, it's a pretty fortunate market. We've been pretty fortunate. So, I mean, I want to knock on wood because I know there's, there could be problems here or there, but um, we do, a, that's why we, I mean, we say when we buy one house a year, I mean, it's not like we just go out and say, okay, in the next month, we're going to go find a house. I mean, you know, I have a real estate agent that's sending properties, you know, 10 to 20 properties every week. We usually inspect five of them. Um, we have a pretty strict standard in terms of just understanding the neighborhood, understanding what the house needs to be, understanding what we what work we are comfortable doing, how much of a turnaround, where the students are planning on living, what type of students would actually live in there, um, talking to the neighbors. And then because usually what happens is we'll find a house, and then we actually will do some background and figure out what's going to happen in this neighborhood over the next five years. So we'll talk with the neighbors. Um, we'll talk with people that live around the corner. We'll talk to the business owners. I mean, it's not a situation. We're not, you know, wham, bam, get in there and get out. And I don't know if it's the best strategy, but for, it's a conservative strategy. But for us, it allows us to make sure we feel confident every time we buy a house that this is going to do well over the next five years. And mm-hmm. for the first four houses so far, you know, knock on wood, we've been pretty successful at that. I, I do know that and, and maybe this is fair too, Dominique, that if this was, if the real estate was much more my passion, I probably would really dive more into it mm-hmm. and really be a little more aggressive. But I'll be honest, I like to use my risk side on my passion business. But you sure. know, for the real business, it's, it's conservative. It's something that, hey, if something really terrible happened tomorrow, I know I could go and actually live off of that income that's actually coming in just in case. But it's mm-hmm. nice to know that I can actually put that back into the investment itself. I think it's all about balance, and that's actually why I brought you to the program, too. I, I really want to inspire people to live a fulfilled life and to have a balanced life, too. It's not all about work, and it's not all about funneling your energy into just that component of your life. So I'd really like for you to... Kind of expand a bit on how a day goes for you and your typical daily practice. So, can you share that with me? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm gonna tell. I always start by telling people that I get up at a ridiculous early time. I'm a very. <laughs> I don't know if it's a talent or just maybe I've just grown into habit, but I don't sleep a lot, Dominique. So I sleep <laughs> about four or five hours a night on average. You know, when I get that six or seven, I start to feel sluggish. So. I actually usually start my day around 3.30 to 4 o'clock every day. 
And I, I usually start it with some sort. Well, the first thing I do is I wake up. I kind of just <laughs> I walk around for 10 minutes, you know, let the joints <laughs> stretch out and get all this muscle aches and pain. And it's funny you say that because I was just I woke up this morning with like a sore back. And I said to myself, it's time to get a bed. That's it. I'm getting a new bed today. <laughs> but typically, but typically after that, I'll actually, uh, once I wake up, I kind of just close my eyes and I do go through my own visual and breathing exercises that, well, let's call it this way. It brings positivity. It puts a smile on my face. It gets, it clears my mind, but it also makes sure that um, I remember reading as an athlete that you want to oxygenate, oxygenate your blood as much as you can. And so I've done this ritual for, for Oh, man, Dominic, I've done this ritual for like 12 years. So it's just natural for me to get up, close my eyes, go through this breathing exercise, and I just feel so much better with a clear head. Mm-hmm. After that, I usually will go exercise. I'm big into CrossFit right now, so I like to do some sort of exercise that's kind of connected to some athletic endeavor. And right now it's CrossFit. Yeah, after that, I'll come home. I'll, you know, I'll eat a good breakfast. I'll go to my whiteboard, and I love my whiteboard. I put down the one thing that I have to get done that day. doesn't matter what else happens in my day, but that one thing has got to get done. And usually when I say that one thing's got to get done, it means that it's going to take me about three hours of that day. Um, it's got to be to a bigger plan. It's got to be to something bigger. So there's that one thing that's got to get done. Um, and usually I try to schedule that in the afternoon because it's usually more of an administrative task. Um, but, you know, the rest of the day usually follows, you know, usually in the mornings, like after breakfast, I'll have one or two client meetings. And then I'll actually have set a time for myself to actually do some paperwork or financial work just to make sure we're kind of on page. I talk with my team, whether um, the real estate team I talk to maybe a couple times a month, but my Passion business, self-made. I talk to that team every single day. Talk to people that you know are inspiring, um, and a lot of times I'll talk to people that give me new ideas, that challenge me, and that usually happens around lunch. And then, like I said, after lunch, I'll do that one thing that has got to get done, and that usually ends up around four o'clock. And then the rest of the evening is just working on things that inspire me. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's one of the reasons why you know my real estate business. I, you know, I enjoy it. I, I meet every tenant. I really, you know, one of the things we do with every tenant is every time they move in, you know, we, I, my brother owns a bakery. So we always give them these luxurious baked goods when they actually move in just to make them feel welcome and just call the students. They love it. But, you know, I like to get to know people. So for me, a lot of my evenings is spent talking with people on the phone, not going, so much going to networking events, but just going to things that interest me and just talking with people that are around there, whether it's just, uh, you know, sometimes it's a game night, sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a networking event, sometimes it's some sort of entertainment show. But typically, my quote-unquote work day ends around 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock, like most people. Okay. And you're in a relationship, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, about five months. Okay. Five months. Yeah, that's right. Tell me how that has improved your workflow and, and the quality of your life. Ooh, <laughs> that's a good question. So I'm sure she's going to want to listen to this podcast afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> big score, really big bonus points here. Um, you know, it's funny, the, the relationship is a, for me is actually one of those stories over my life where I can tell you I've had, quote unquote, the good relationships and the bad relationships. But my personality says I've never had a bad relationship. I'm grateful for all the people I've met in my life. And Kayla, the person I'm dating now, is she's just a, a wonderful person. And I say this because 
when I say she loves me, like she just loves me as a me person. It didn't matter. I, I, you know, sometimes I kind of get this thought that, you know, now that I'm, you know, doing a lot, being more successful, I started to worry that people were kind of like more excited by the idea of what I've accomplished as opposed to the type of person I am. And Kayla is just one of those people who, you know, when we started dating, she just is a person who's always smiling. She's not the person who takes the life too seriously. She makes me laugh. She's always just, she's so kind to people. And we just had this conversation this weekend where we, we were coming back from just a bowling night and she mentioned how she just can't hold grudges. She doesn't even know how to hold a grudge for someone. And that's the type of person Kayla is. It's the type of person that she just truly likes people. She truly is just so happy. And as for me, it allows me to just let my stresses go. Mm -hmm. If I'm having a good day, if I'm having a bad day, you know, it's someone that I feel like I can actually be myself around her. I think sometimes in our business, we think we get to put on this face or put on this different perspective for people there. Um, and I think the one thing that it's helped me is two things. One is just reminding myself to be myself because, you know, when you have someone who shows how much they care you for you so much just because of the person you are, it says, hey, I'm just going to be me today no matter who I'm speaking with and what part of my business. And then the second part is it reminds me that I got to get the things, the things that I want to do in my life, spend time with her, go on trips. I've got to make sure I get those done in a finite time so that I want to try to be as efficient and productive in my day as I possibly can because, you know, nobody wants – as much as I love my work, I don't want my work to take over my life either. Mm -hmm. So do you have any mantras or success quotes that you feel especially connected to? I don't know if it's a mantra. I don't have, like, the affirmations, but I do have a quote that I, I actually read when I was, I think I was nine years old, Dominique, when I read this quote. Um, it's actually still my favorite book. It's How to Win Friends and Influence People. I know it's a big world bestseller. And, you know, some people say it's still relevant. Some people say it's not. But the quote that actually I take from it is, uh, you can actually make more friends in two months by getting to know people than in two years by getting them to know you. And it reminds me of this idea that, no matter what I'm doing, my, my, my purpose in life is to serve. My purpose in my life is to make sure that I am helping people. I am inspiring people. I'm doing whatever I possibly can because there's nothing to do with me when I'm speaking with someone. It actually has to do with them. I, I know the book is kind of predicated on how to be better in business or sales, but I really think there's something more to it. It goes deeper than that for me. It goes deeper into the sense that um, and I say this because I'm not the most religious person, but that, you know, my time on this world is really happy and it's going to be, quote unquote, successful for me and my legacy if I actually help people start to see so much of the potential that they have inside of them. Mm -hmm. And the only way I can do that, Dominique, is by getting to know them and understand them and just talk with them and not trying to, to manipulate, but just ask them questions, just like you're in this podcast. I mean, it's one of the reasons I love my podcast is because now you get to control the, the, the conversation because you get to ask them questions. And I think that's the beautiful part of it. Cool. Tell me more about your podcast and, and what you do each episode. Yeah, we have, it's a two, I guess it's two episodes per week. Uh, the first episode is just bringing on, you know, amazing guests, you know, just like a person like yourself to come on. And they're typically people that are entrepreneurs or, or people I kind of call high achievers. They're individuals that 
had said to themselves, there's something I want to do in my life that's going to leave a legacy. And this is how I've actually taken myself and actually gone out and done this into the world. And it's bringing on people who have kind of followed their passion. I, I feel a lot of times, Dominic, that it's just, you know, we talk about maybe the entrepreneur uh, or the, the business owner. And, you know, those are the only people that had actually followed their passion. But it's not true. I mean, there's so many people that had actually said to themselves, for whatever reason or experiences in their life that has called them to actually go in this direction. And I love to know that story. I love to know how they got to that point. I also love to know what struggles they faced along the way. Because I think anytime somebody goes after the untypical approach, the non-typical way of actually going after a passion instead of just going, whether it's the corporate ladder or doing the, the typical route to actually getting a job and having kids. I love to know what struggles they face and how they potentially overcame it. What did they do mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually to feel like they could actually move forward to, to make a difference in the world and make those changes. So we have those guests come on every Monday and then on Thursday, you know, it's my, I guess I use it as my time to just kind of give my thoughts, mm-hmm. my ideas, my inspiration, uh, stories that have touched me in life that I think there's a le- lesson that could help someone else. And, you know, sometimes those, <laughs> those Thursday conversations, I listen to them. I go back, I, I just finish and I'm thinking to myself, man, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's, I don't think that was a good one, but it's just wonderful that you hear, and maybe there's people out there like, God, that was horrible, but there's some, usually one person who says, Alex, it reminds me a story of my life when this happened to me. And I think that's the, the whole point of that, that 10 minutes or 12 minutes podcast, like every Thursday is that there's prop, this story probably resonates with a story in your life. And what was that story? So it reminds you that there's so much more inside of you that you ever thought possible. And don't be afraid to go out and go for it. Mm-hmm. I've been revisiting Think and Grow Rich with Napoleon Hill. And one of the points that, uh, that we brought up this week, um, I don't know that it's directly related to the book, but it, it came through the teachings of the president of our company, Nick Siegel. Mm-hmm. And he... He asked us to sit and quiet our mind and just imagine a task that we were about to, to do and think about what a master would do if they were preparing for that task and just completely flesh out the ideas that somebody who was the best at doing that would, would come up with. And it was really powerful to think about the fact that there is a master within every one of us. And we just have to let that master come forward. So I thought that was just so cool and so powerful. It reminds me, it's, I think probably the meditation I even go through in the morning, Dominique, is similar. It's, in, you know, long story short, it's, you know, I, I'll keep it pretty simple, but what I do is I close my mo- eyes and I'll imagine that I have this body that's full of all this, this stuff, this junk in myself that I want to get out. So I'll start with just kind of going through this breathing exercise where I'll breathe through my nose and I imagine as I'm breathing in this white cloud 
of clarity and positivity and this and the strength that I'm trying to find in myself, filling myself up from all the way from the toes to the top of my head. And the whole point of it is to really allow myself to get all my worries out that I want, that typically I think we all start our day with, you know, whether it's a sales meeting or whether it's something in your personal life or trying to figure out how am I going to get my schedule, but just starting the day with a clear mind and just allowing myself to be who I am and to be the person that I want to be and reminding myself that that person's okay. Mm-hmm. I did something also that maybe, you know, it's different. It's not this meditation way, but I think this is something that all of us should do is letting go control, especially the people that we trust. So last week, every person who ever starts a business probably knows this, that you just get to points where you're stuck. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not thinking, you don't know which direction to go. You're, you're kind of figuring out what exactly is the next path. And I allowed my two of my closest friends, actually, you know, Oksana, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, there. And, you know, I, and I, another one, my friend Jason, and I told him, I literally gave him you know, kind of a set of instructions. I said, here's, the, here's what I think the problem is. I said, but I want you guys to just tell me in 90 minutes or whatever, I'm just going to give you control of my business and control of myself for a little bit. And I want you guys to just talk with me. Like, and I, I wasn't going to ask questions. They pretty much were great about just kind of taking it on themselves and just start talking back and forth between each other and kind of discussing it. And it was such an enlightening experience, Dominic, because I didn't, and for me not to speak, that's probably a, a, a credit to itself. But, <laughs> um, but for 90 minutes, I probably said mo- no more than like one minute worth of words. But just sitting there, it almost was like, you get to be a fly on the wall for how people see you, mm-hmm. how people see stuff that is important to you, your business. And it was so powerful. I mean, just the, the, the words, the thoughts, the transgression in terms of how they saw it, it enlightened me to say, oh my gosh, this is what I need to be doing. Not, not get so caught up in these little simple things, but this is the bigger reason why this whole thing exists, why I exist. So cl- it gave me such clarity and such openness to actually now be the person who I am and just do what I think is necessary to allow me to kind of grow to the next phase. Or as Tony Robbins would say, you know, light happiness is rooted in progress. So figuring out what the next step in terms of my own progress is going to be. Mm-hmm. What are you creating now? What are your next steps? What, you know, I think the, the easiest way to say it is that we're building a culture. You know, when I thought of this idea of, I, I think most of the times when I was thinking of what I struggled with was the idea of, am I a coach? Am I a speaker? You know, am I a title of position? And that's just not the case. I mean, in, t- in essence, you know, when you go to people for advice, you're not going to them for their labels or what their titles are. You're going to them because you feel that bond and that connection. And the self-made program, you know, I kind of thought I had this idea that there was this like kind of small thing of this personal transformation tied to this professional transformation, and it was going to be these how-to steps. But that's not what it really is. What it really is is actually it's a, it's a cultural shift in terms of what you need to be doing just with your entire life. So it's obviously – it's focused on entrepreneurs. It's focused on people that own their own business because I think the part of that is that these are the people that have said, I want to take control of my life. I want to take control of my time. I want to take control of my income, and I want to make sure I can do everything possible. But the self-made itself is now going to actually 
let's go to a little bit more of a holistic approach that you can't just go down one path avenue and expect to be successful and expect to be happy. Because in the end, I think we're all looking for that idea of fulfillment. And that's in the end what I'm trying to, was trying to build was like, it's not these like videos or these how-tos or the step-by-step process. It's about discovering who you really are, discovering what makes you completely different and giving yourself the freedom and the permission to be that person and to grow that per- that mission out into the world. Mm-hmm. That's what the whole self-made program really is about. It's about an idea of a cultural shift. Mm-hmm. So what kind of relationships have you forged that, uh, that you've been able to focus on creating this culture with? What do you mean by that? I'm just so I can get some clarity. <laughs> what, who are the kinds of people that you surround yourself with and, and who are the people you're working with on creating this? Ah, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, like, I, you know, I, I have people that obviously have their expertise. Um, I know for me, in essence, when people ask, well, what's your, you know, sometimes I get this question, well, what's your marketing plan or what's your engagement plan or how do you promote yourself? And I think people just need to fo- focus on what they do best. And for me, I, my best talent is speaking. So, you know, obviously I do the the podcasts and the videos and those sorts of things to reach, you know, my mass audience. But, you know, I have talented people that edit it. I have talented people that, you know, upload the videos. Like, I'm, I'm not the best at technology. In fact, I just read an article about the guy who just bought the Buffalo Bills. And he doesn't have an email. And he still apparently uses a flip phone. And this is guy just put down $1.4 billion. So I, it's a reminder to me that, you know, there's, if you don't have a talent in something or that's not your skill or that's not your best asset, it's okay. There's people out there that have that skill and that are willing to help you. But I have, you know, you, I mentioned Oksana, but I have people that are, you know, whether you call them coaches or people that can kind of keep you um, refreshed and enlightened about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think surely, you know, you had a great question, Dominic. I've never been asked that about my relationship life, but I think, you know, my family, you know, my girlfriend, you know, the people that actually just love me unconditionally, you know, they're an important part of my life just to, re- to remind myself that it doesn't matter what I achieve or earn in my life. It's that I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm great. I'm fine as the person who I'm going to be. And I think there's some satisfaction, there's some contentness and happiness that comes from reminding yourself that you don't always have to win the gold. You can be who you are, and that's a, a great place to be. So those are important people. Um, I don't know if I call it, quote, unquote, a team. I mean, if I if you look at my books, I guess I have, you know, 22 employees. You know, I have my real estate people that, you know, the, the landlord, the people that the contractors, the people that take care of the houses, you know, all those types of people. And I meet with them a couple times a month. Um, the scouts that are looking for houses. Uh, but, you know, in my business, you know, really it's, it's getting together some very talented people that are forward thinking. And I try to meet with them once a week and just sit there, whether we're talking about my business or, or a lot of times we're talking about everybody's business or where they want to go. Just not even the business, just where they want to go with their life and helping them offer feedback and advice and how they actually get there. Mm-hmm. Who've been your most influential mentors in your business? Uh, my father. My my father is, you know, my father grew up, he had his own business for a while, um, but my father generally was in sales his whole life. And it doesn't matter what business you're in, if 
whether you're great at it or you hire someone, you've got to have somebody who's good in the sales department or sales arena there. Um, what I say my father was such a big influence, obviously, because he gave me a lot of what I talked about, this culture, this mindset of just, you know, really, truly looking at helping people. And, you know, the word that I, I believe Daniel Pink said that most people associate with sales is sleazy. And <laughs> I never had that word growing up because I saw how how much my father bent over backwards to make sure his clients was happy, like doing extra work that didn't have to be done. He didn't have to do it. Um, he, he, right now, he actually sells stump grinders, and his job is not to actually go fix the machines. His job is to sell the stump grinder, and mm-hmm. that's it. But a lot of his clients call him daily or weekly and say, hey, this part of the machine broke down. Can you stop by? And he does, and he just stops by, fixes whatever the problem is, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't get paid for it. He doesn't take any commission or anything from it. He just does it because that's what good people do. That's what good businesses do. They help people. They make sure that they're satisfied and they're taken care of. You know, he's a big role model for me. Um, growing up, I worked with a company called Fluid Mechanics. Um, his name, the owner's name is John Waldman, and he owned a um, what's probably is one of the best technique companies in swimming. And just seeing how organized. Uh, you know, how regimented his days were, like how he made sure that if he had a meeting from one to two, that meeting went from one o'clock and it ended at two o'clock. That's just how he rolled. And I think as a kid, you know, this is a knock on my parents, but, you know, my, my parents are like, we'll make plans at the last minute, you know, those sorts of things. But I, so I give John a lot of credit for making me organized, just in all facets, especially when you're thinking about having all these different people that, you know, the organization really is key. It's very important, actually, making sure that you aren't just wasting your time. And time is the one asset that all of us have that we just never want to go to waste. Um, and then the final person I actually would say that's been kind of a role model for me, I don't think it's like one person. You know, I've, I've really enjoyed some of the mastermind groups I've been in. So there's like little pieces and pickets and pockets. But the one person that actually comes to mind that I think of this is Damien, who you know. Yeah. You know Damien pretty well. Um, you, he would laugh if I called him a mentor because he's like, oh, my gosh, not what I am. <laughs> We're the same age. But, you know, but he was the, one of the first people I met that in this kind of like online world that I never really kind of ventured into this like online world up until recently. And just a, a great guy, clearly just, you know, one of those people that would be willing to spend hours with you to help you. Mm-hmm. And just having people like him in your life and just knowing that there are other people like him out there is just really truly inspiring. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel good about the industry I'm in. I'm in. It makes me feel good about just the life I'm trying to build. Mm-hmm. And so those are probably the three people that I can say right now have the biggest influence. Awesome. So what's your burning desire and your dream for your life? <laughs> um, oh man. Okay, I'll, I'll just read it for you, okay? Here's, uh, when I wrote this, this is just the, the uh, let me start over. When I was at a seminar one time, somebody asked us that if you had a tombstone, what would you want people to write on it? And I thought at first, man, that's a really morbid way to think about it. Yeah. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I, did, so I didn't like it at first, but the more I thought about it, I said to myself, okay, he's not trying to say, you know, what do you want, you know, what, don't think about your death. He's like, what do you just want people to say about you? And so my legacy, I have it right here. It says, here lies a man who inspired and taught billions of people how they can live the life of their dreams. And so for me, it's, you know, that big burning desire. 
is to continue to do that for the rest of my life. It's to continue to look at each day and say to myself, I did something that improved someone's life. That whether it was a product, whether it was a service, whether it was just an interaction, whether, you know, the other day, here's an example. The other day, um, I was meeting a potential client at uh, Panera, and I could tell, there was a woman behind me who I could see, I could just see that she was looking in her purse at like if she had enough change to just pay for, you know, whatever the meal that she had. And I just, I told the cashier, I said, here's a 20, you know, I said, I'll come get the change later, but just whatever she is, I'm buying for it. Mm-hmm. And I never talked to that woman. I don't know if, if, you know, I mean, I got my change later, but you know, in the end it was, it was just one of those things that I am sure that hopefully that, that it made that woman's day mm-hmm. that she was so nervous about just spending, you know, to me, it was nothing. It was a few bucks, but probably for her, it probably made her day. Um, and the reason I know it made her day is because I know when I was at my lowest point in my business and I had no money, I remember somebody doing that for me. Mm-hmm. And I remember how much of a change in my perspective, just not that day, but that entire week, that I thought there might be something out there in the universe that's telling me to keep going, that it's going to be okay, that everything's going to be fine. You know, it's just things like that that are, you know, really important to me to continue to do. Mm-hmm. What's your vision for the world? My vision for the world, um, a, fr- a friend of ours, Alyssa, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, she talks about how she wants to, she wants to be the healer for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just talked about Oksana. You know, she has a vision to make everybody happy in the world. Um, for me, it's about be these people and their visions and making sure their visions become a reality. Mm-hmm. That's for me, and if, if somebody asks me what I am, I'm not the person that's going to, I don't think I'm the creator. I'm hoping them be, I'll be a little bit more of the enabler. You know, the person that actually is going to start that company that is going to make a difference in this world or the person who is going to maybe discover that cure that, you know, whatever it is, you know, there's an expression by Les Brown that said, you know, the richest place in the world is in the graveyard. Here I go again, talking about something so morbid, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Les Brown says the richest ideas in the world are in the graveyard. And what he's trying to say is, is that people have these amazing ideas and amazing thoughts, but never do anything about it. Mm. And so for me, my hope is, is that I can inspire people to make sure that they don't hold those ideas back and don't hold those thoughts back and actually go and do it. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's uh, that's an inspirational feeling, and it's it's really cool. What step can somebody take today to bring them closer to achieving what they want to create in the world? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you know, there's so many different ways. I think people get so caught up in the how to do something. And I think that's the part where usually people get stuck. It's the part that usually people tend to kind of fall back on. And I, and I, it's kind of sad in some ways, you know, because a lot of times there's so many different how to's to do something. You know, I, today I was learning about how to do Facebook advertising better. So there's a how to step. And for me, it's to promote a, a certain service, but there's a million ways I could have promoted that service. I could just go out door to door. I could have, gone to a networking event it just so happened i chose the facebook route for this particular service Mm -hmm. so i think for most people it's you know forgetting about sometimes you know what steps you have to take 
but just getting started and actually taking the first step. Um, there's a reason that every day on that whiteboard, like I don't know if this is a video podcast, but in my back, you can see that little white, one whiteboard. It's very small. I've had that thing for like eight years now. I've got smear marks all over it, but I've used it because I always try to write the one thing on there because it reminds me of this idea that when you can just have your one focus for that day, it makes a huge difference. You know, action's always going to be better than just thoughts or ideas. And so if you're doing something that day, even if it feels like you're not going forward, you're always going to learn something that you may have never thought beforehand. Uh, I think it was, I was listening to a YouTube episode, and I think it was Steve Jobs who said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. And the point being that you don't know the steps that you're taking today, how they're going to lead to that vision that you're trying to create. Mm-hmm. You only can figure out when you actually look behind you and say, man, those experiences and what I learned allow me to do the things I want to do today. Mm-hmm. So don't get so caught up in the idea of what the how-to steps. Just start taking steps. Two quick follow-up questions to that. Uh-huh. What's your one thing say on the whiteboard today? Mm-hmm. My one thing... So my one thing today actually is to set up my webinar series. And that was the one thing I have to do today because I, I know that this, you know, I talk about this grand vision, but I, I think there's a lot of people that have their own visions and then they just don't do anything about it. So for me, as I talked about, it's a speaking thing. And I've been talking about webinars for a long time and, you know, other things have taken priorities. But today was the day it says, okay, I'm going to put the webinar series on the schedule set up the Facebook advertisements, which is what I was doing beforehand, and say go and click the button. So actually even before this, Dominic, I clicked the button and you know the advertisement campaign's going and this, the plan is set in so the VA knows what they're supposed to do and I know what I'm supposed to do. And here's the beautiful thing, you know, I think that people, when we hear like this idea of doing something, we think it's got to take months or weeks. I've been thinking about this for months, but it took me an hour, two hours to actually literally, okay, form the idea and just go and get started, you know, pick the first idea. I think that's what hopefully is that kind of like the, to your follow-up question is that you just got to do. Mm-hmm. When you have an idea and you think it's great, do it and then measure it and see if you want to continue doing it. There's nothing bad about actually quitting on something if you don't think it's going to work or it doesn't fall within your mission or vision in the future. Mm-hmm. And the other question I think you shared with me last week about your one thing. What do you feel like the relationship? I mean, you've you've got a whole year then of of impactful things that you've done. Three hundred and sixty-five one things have have been mm-hmm. created from that. Can you can you share more about that? Yeah, um, you know, I think people love uh, the the big wows. Um, you know, for me, when I I always tell people, you don't have to do much. You just have to do one thing well every single day, and that's going to make a huge difference. Um, I, I can tell you that my business, that my, my, my passion business went from the brink of bankruptcy to over, I think it was over 100000 in six months in terms of actual profit into the business uh, for me personally. Um, you know, so, and that was just doing what six months, what's whatever is half of 365, one thing, you know, that's 180 ish, something there of one thing that retransformed my entire business. It retransformed myself personally. 
Um, so that's one thing. That's the big factor that I find is that if you have that one thing that really is going to make the biggest difference, mm-hmm. then you've got to do it. No matter how scary it is or how much it's going to freak you out or makes you nervous, if you do that one thing, no matter how much you fall flat on your face, you know, that's important. It, you got to do it regardless of what happened. The result actually means nothing. It's just doing it. That's the important part of the puzzle. And then the second thing actually, you know, most people think my one thing is probably a business. It's not, you know, every day. You know, yeah. for example, on Sunday, the one thing I had to do was go visit my family. Mm-hmm. That was the one thing I had to do. And so making sure that I got all my, whatever I needed to get done that Sunday morning, you know, exercise and meditations and, you know, paying bills or whatever else, I made sure I took the hour trip, drove down, saw my parents, spent time with them for, you know, a good four or five hours and went back home. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't always have to be this, okay, it's got to be this driven purpose. Um, sometimes that one thing you just kind of have to trust your gut. And I know I needed a little bit of downtime. And so that day, it was just saying, you know what? I, have, I know I have a thing to do, but this is the one thing i got to do today because it's going to make me feel better. I'm going to feel happier as a result of it. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of the information that you shared today. I really feel like our audience is going to just get a lot of value from it. And I want to thank you for coming on. Um, if anybody would like to get in touch with you, what are the best methods to reach you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Dominic, you know, thanks for having me on. I mean, now that we're talking now, I think it's our third conversation. You know, now I, I told him before the people are listening that he's stuck with me for life. I don't know if it's a good thing or not for you, but it is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, people can easily get a hold of me. You can go to my website, CoachAlexKuhn, K-U-H-N.com. I may have a contact page there. But, you know, one of the things that... I, as part of my legacy, is that, you know, there's a lot of these paid masterminds or paid um, groups online that are kind of like, you know, accountability groups or, you know, masterminders type of groups. And to me, I thought to myself, you know, I don't want to charge people for that. You know, I want to charge um, for something else. You know, I got to make a business. But I actually do have a free accountability, you know, like where they can actually just speak with me personally. It's on Facebook. Um, friend me on Facebook, Alex Kuhn. But if you're looking it up, it's a, it's a self-made with Alex Kuhn. And you can join that. Love to have you. I'd be glad to talk with you. But for anybody that wants to get a hold of me, you know, don't be shy. My sincerest thanks to Alex Kuhn. It was such a pleasure connecting with you and hearing your mission and insights. I think everyone listening is going to be inspired by your teachings. I know I myself have been looking at my days differently since hearing your approach of achieving the one thing each day. Thank you also, Shifters, for your continued support of the program. I'm so proud and honored that you're coming back week after week to listen to Real Shift Radio and that you're sharing the program with others who you think will enjoy it. Check out the show notes for today's episode at dialdominic.com slash nine. And be sure to take a listen to the episode of Alex's self-made podcast where he interviewed me. I'll link up to that show in this episode's notes. Be sure to join me next week for the next episode of Real Shift Radio, where our guest will be Dana Cataldi another mega successful realtor who's created a life and business that is truly beautiful. Until then, shifters, keep it real.